Well, good morning, everybody. You guys awake? We've been here for a while now. You should be awake by this point, all right? Good morning, everyone. Hey, there we go. There we go. I, I'm so glad um, to have the opportunity to get to open God's Word with you this morning. And I, I hope, my hope is that you are excited as well. I, I think there's, there's something very important about coming to worship with expectation. Coming to this time together on Sunday morning, expecting to hear from God. Because we're opening His Word. We, we've talked about for a couple of weeks now that, that the fact that God speaks to us through His Word. We have this copy of His Word. This is how He speaks to us. And we can hear His voice in it. So, I hope that today you came ready to hear from God. You didn't, you didn't come to hear from me. You didn't come to hear from Derek or Roger. You came to hear from God this morning. And we're going to hear from Him today. And I, I want to begin by asking all of you a question. What are we gathered here today to do? Yeah, you're right. It's not a trick question. We're, we're here gathered to worship. We're here to worship the one true and living God in his glorious splendor. But I, I want to ask a second question. Have you ever stopped to think about how we worship God? Have you ever stopped to think about how we worship God? I think that we, we all come into this place um, with an expectation. But, but I want us to seriously stop this morning for just a second and ask, what is it that we say we are gathering to do each week? When we come into this room at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Lafayette, Georgia, what is it that we say we're doing? I, I think the Psalms give us an answer for that today. And the question that we're going to ask is, how do I worship God? How do I worship God? Most of us have some sort of preconceived notion of what we think the answer to that question is, but I would ask, if we could, just for the next few moments, let's suspend any preconceived thought that we might have about what we think we're doing here in this room. Now, hopefully, we'll read through God's Word, and your preconceived notion will be proven true, that what we're doing here is what I thought we were doing here. It's what God asked us to do here. Hopefully that'll be true. But I would also ask you to be open to the fact that maybe you're not coming into this room for the right reasons. Maybe you think something's happening here that's not actually happening here. I want us to come with an understanding. I want us to come to an understanding. So at the end of today, I hope that we leave with an understanding of how to worship God better. With an answer to the question, how do I worship God? God. So follow along with me today and let's dig into Psalm 96. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 96. That's where we'll be today. Um, and as you're turning there, I, I want to just kind of let you know what's going to happen. So we're going to cover Psalm 96 today. Next week we'll cover Psalm 98. And they, they kind of go together, but we need to lay a little bit of groundwork before we jump into Psalm 96 so that we can understand what's being taught to us in these two psalms. Now, um, in order for us to fully understand what's being teaching, what's being taught, we need to have a, a lesson in structure. Um, the book of Psalms is um, broken. It, it's it's this collection of um, poetry and praise and um, intercession, petitions, and, it, and it's, it's unlike anything else that we find in the Bible. Um, in fact, I, I, I came across, the, across this quote this week. William Brown, he has a commentary. He says, For all their variety, the Psalms share at least one thing in common. They consist primarily of human words uttered to God 
rather than God speaking to his people. However, we learn so much in what the people of God say to God, is what he said. So the vast majority of Psalms do not record God speaking to us. It records people speaking to God. And I think that's why we learn. Now, it's broken up into five books. Did you guys know that the book of Psalms is broken into five books? There's five smaller books that are pushed together into one book. Book one is Psalms 1 through 41. Book two is Psalms 42 through 72. Book three is Psalms 73 through 89. Book four, where we'll be this week and next week, contains Psalms 90 through 106. And then book five contains Psalms 107 through 150. So the two Psalms that we're dealing with this week and next week are found in book four. And that section, that book four of the book of Psalms, deals extensively with the fact that God will reign triumphantly as the king of creation, both now and in the future. And so it proclaims him as king of all creation in the future and king in the present as well. And knowing that God will be presented as the triumphant king is how this psalm is going to help us understand how to worship God. Does that make sense? You guys following along with me there? This is yes, this is no. Everybody on the same page now? Okay, good. All right, so with that structural lesson in place, let's read Psalm 96 together. If you wouldn't mind, if you're able, let's stand together uh, in honor of God's word. <clears throat> now, I, I want to, before we get going here, I want to let you guys know, there's punctuation in Scripture. And that's important, especially in a psalm like this. So follow along with me. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Exclamation point. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can be seated. So I wanted to remind you that there's punctuation in Scripture before I started reading so that you wouldn't be like, man, Jason's really jacked up this morning. Well, there's a reason to be jacked up this morning, right? We're worshiping the Lord in the splendor of holiness, and we are celebrating the fact that we have an incredible God who has done incredible things. And so there's reason to have exclamation points at the end of our sentences, right? That we should be excited about who he is. Now, I want to set this up. The text of this psalm very closely matches the words sung by David in 1 Chronicles 16, 
23 through 33, when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back to Jerusalem. It had been taken captive by the Philistines, and David conquers through, uh, with God's uh, guidance and direction, and they bring in the, the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and it is this celebration that happens, that we see that there in First Chronicles. So if you were to turn to First Chronicles, you don't have to right now, but if you were to turn to First Chronicles 16, you would see these very same words that we just read that David sings as the ark is coming back into town. Um, there's a guy named James Hamilton. He's a professor at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said, Psalm 96 calls Israel and the nations to praise Yahweh for the salvation he has accomplished. The contents of Psalm 96 match that portion of, so of the song of thanksgiving that David gave Asaph to be sung to God once the ark of the covenant was brought back into the city of David. So, it's easy to understand why there would be great celebration at the time of that event, right? That God's presence, that's what the Ark of the Covenant represented, represented God's presence. God is coming back to be with his people in their city. So this was an incredible time of celebration. It was a huge moment because it represents God coming back to Jerusalem to rule and to reign. So the celebration that we see in this psalm, it cannot be overstated. The divine king that's referred to in this psalm cannot be over-exalted. This is a hymn that's celebrating God's kingship over all creation, which means that all kinds of people should love and worship him. There, there's three things uh, that I want us to see in this psalm. I think that this psalm teaches us uh, three things to answer the question, how do I worship God? So the first thing that we see is that we sing to God because he is glorious. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. We sing to God because he is glorious. So this psalm begins there in verse 1 by calling the inhabitants of all the earth to sing to the Lord. We, as followers of Christ, are a singing people. Now, I know some of you don't like to sing. I don't take that personally as the worship pastor here. However, I would say we are a singing people as the followers of Christ. Did you know that in Scripture, there are more than 500 references to singing by God's people, and there are more than 100 direct commands to sing found in Scripture. So, if you choose not to sing here on a Sunday morning, you're not making me upset. You're making the Lord upset, all right? So, no, I joke, I joke. But we should be drawn into singing. It is the way we express our gratitude and our thanks and our worship back to God. We sing to him. Now that does not mean it has to be beautiful, but we sing to the Lord. We sing to him. God is worthy of our songs. He's glorious and mighty. Unrestrained exuberance should ring out of our lives just like it does in this psalm. There should be exclamation points at the end of our sentences that we are excited about worshiping our God. We remember the great works of the Lord in the past we celebrate new mercies that God gives us every morning. And new displays of God's mercy and new displays of God's glory should require new expressions of worship. That's why it says here, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to forget what God did in the past. That does not mean that we are to forget older uh, celebrations or exclamations of God's glory through song. But new expressions of God's mercy require new responses in song. So we worship and proclaim God's greatness together. We sing to him. In the first six verses of this psalm, 
There are three plural commands for the people of God to sing to him. And they're followed by other plural commands, which say, bless his name, proclaim the good news, and declare his glory among the nations. So this is not written to one person to say, hey, you, individual, go sing to God. It says, no, you, plural, as the people of God, let's sing to God together. And I think that's something that we lose sometimes, especially in the American context, is that we've individualized everything so much that we forget we are a part of a family. We are a part of the family of God, and we are called together to sing to God because he is glorious. In Hebrew, all of these verbs are plural. The people of God did things together. We are a community, and we are to worship God together because God is worthy of all of our worship, all of our worship, not just our individual worship, but all of us together. And verses four through six give us the reason why we should sing to God. First, the Lord has made himself known to Israel. Look at what it says there um, in verse three. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. So us, as the people of God, we have seen God move. So let's declare that to the people around us. Let's sing to him. He's worthy of all of our worship. Matt Mason is a pastor. He says the only thing that adequately explains the worship of the church is the glory of her God. That did not get you guys as excited as it did me. Let me read it again. The only thing that adequately explains the worship of the church is the glory of her God. Our God is incredible. And the only thing that explains why we gather here in this room on an hour on Sunday mornings is because he is incredible. Can I get an amen in this room? Our God is incredible. The praise that we offer to God should be in proportion to the greatness of our God. Our God is infinitely great, and so... Our praise should be infinitely toward him. I mean, just a few moments ago, we sang these words. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Our God is worthy of the praise of all the earth. So we don't offer half-hearted worship to our glorious God. We give our entire selves to him. He's worthy of it all, and we should not hold back anything when it comes to worshiping our Lord. Not only is God worthy of our worship, so he's worthy, that's the first reason why we sing to him, but also he's holy and majestic. In, in verse 6, look, read, read verse 6 with me again. It says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Now, these words, splendor and majesty, they describe the royal magnificence of God. I'm reminded of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah has this vision of the Lord uh, in, in the temple, and he says, woe is me. Splendor, majesty, he's majestic and magnificent. And so, it's this theme of God's incredible glory is on display, and our God is impressive in every way, and so we should sing Back to him. The only natural response of seeing the glory of God revealed is exuberant singing to the praise of his glorious name. So the first answer to the question, how do we worship God? We begin by singing in response to his glorious person. But singing 
has a purpose beyond just acknowledging how great God is. It's not just that we sing just to acknowledge Him. But the second thing that we see here in verses 7 through 9 is that we ascribe to God the glory He deserves. That's the second thing we see. We ascribe to God the glory He deserves. Not her. He deserves. Um, but I want to ask the question, what does ascribe mean? Right? What does ascribe mean? Ascribe is not a word that we use very often in the English language. It's, it's not something that's a part of my normal conversation. Maybe it is for you. I don't know, but... I don't, at home, just talk about ascribing things very much, very, very often. But ascribe is a verb, which means to attribute something to something else by way of causation or association. So we attribute something to an individual or a thing by way of causation or association. So in these verses, the psalmist is moving from calling all the people of the earth to sing praise to God to calling all the nations to praise God. And the way that they are to be involved in that, the way that the entire world is to be involved in worshiping God is by ascribing to God what belongs to God. He is the source of glory, and so we give glory back to Him. All nations are to attribute the glory and strength of God and splendor and holiness that is due His name. These verses show us that the Gentiles, that's you and me. I don't, I don't think anybody in here is of Jewish descent. And if you are, I apologize. But I don't think anybody in here is of Jewish descent. So we're all Gentiles. It's a safe place here. Um, but we've been invited to worship in God's courts. And we should notice the repetition found in verses 7 and 8. Look at what it says. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Now, this repetition is a Hebrew literary device. We've talked about this here before. But it shows emphasis, that there's emphasis on ascribing to the Lord. It's not a suggestion that these things should be ascribed to the Lord. It's a command that the nations of the earth must rise up and ascribe greatness and glory and strength to the Lord. It's the glory that is due His name. It's the respect and honor that God's character deserves. And the word here, uh, worship, in verse 9, look at what it says. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and tremble before Him all the earth. The Hebrew word that is translated worship in most of our English uh, translations is a word that really connotes bowing before the Lord. It's bowing that is accompanied with awesome trembling. That's why it says, worship him and then tremble before him. So we're to bow before the Lord and have awesome trembling. Now, this does not mean that we are afraid of God, but that we revere him, that we understand his place. And so all the families of the earth are invited into this type of worship where the truth of who God is creates in us the only proper response of reverent and enthusiastic worship. I want to read this quote to you. Um, this is um, a guy named Herschel Hobbes. He says this, A worship service should include adoration and praise, thanksgiving and confession, prayer and proclamation, commitment and surrender to God's will. Anything, does not contribute to these, anything that does not contribute to these things has no place in such a service. For unless our spirits experience the presence and power of God's Spirit, unless we are strengthened, challenged, and motivated in God's will, unless we depart better people than when we came, 
we cannot say that we have truly worshiped. If we do not leave this room changed every Sunday morning or with a deeper understanding of who our God is, we cannot say that we have truly worshiped. So worship for us, when we ascribe to God the glory he deserves, it's something that has already been going on from eternity past. We're being invited into something that has already been happening. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is said to be always at worship because the three persons of the Godhead perfectly behold each other's worth and wonder, and they perfectly interact with each other. Now, to us, that may seem strange, at least, or different at worst. It's, to envision anyone perpetually exalting himself seems a little weird, right? I mean, imagine if Roger were to walk around here constantly going, you know, I'm pretty great. I don't know if you guys realize this, but I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. That would seem kind of odd, right? Seem kind of odd. I mean, don't be me wrong, he is a big deal. But for him to say that about himself constantly would be odd. It's not odd for God to do that. We live in a world that is full of bragging where celebrities will boast that they're the best or that sports stars will tattoo chosen one across their shoulders and everyone is self-celebrating each other on Instagram and Facebook, no matter their place in life. We all do it. We're all guilty of it. And the idea that God would be associated with anything like that behavior can be disconcerting. But God's self-adoration is nothing like ours. It's nothing like ours. Unlike our own self-congratulatory spirit, God's view of himself is unmistaken and it's not exaggerated. We sing the hymn here, we sang it just a few weeks ago, but it goes something like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. God's glory and God's perfection is inexhaustible. We cannot say enough about how glorious he truly is. We cannot over-ascribe to him how awesome he is. The greatest gift that he gives to us is him revealing himself to us and exalting anything else would be cruel on God's part if he were not to be involved in worshiping. And we all have been invited to participate in ascribing glory and worth and power and might to his name. So let's do that. So not only do we sing to God because he is glorious, not only do we ascribe to God the glory that he deserves, the final thing that we see in this passage is that we tell the world of God's greatness. Look at what it says again in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. The final thing that we see in this passage is that we must tell the world of God's greatness. Throughout this psalm, we as the Gentiles have been spoken to... And now we are the ones who go out and spread the incredible news that the Lord reigns. We're to go into all the world and declare that Jesus 
is Lord and announce that he is the one and only Savior who has come, lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we deserve to die, and then rose to conquer the enemy that we could never conquer on our own. Again, Matt Mason, a pastor, he says, as local churches committed to the Great Commission, we are, by praying, giving, going, and sending, aimed at one thing, global worship. We are to take the worship of God out into the world. We ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, and we call all peoples to worship Him with us. This means that we appeal to all people. We appeal to people that we know. We appeal to people that we live near. We also appeal to people that don't look like us. We appeal to people that don't live in the same community that we live in. We appeal to people who come from drastically different backgrounds from us. People who think differently than us. People who are from different cultures than us. People who have a different skin tone than we do. We are to tell the whole world of the greatness of our God. And it's an act of worship to spread the news of God's greatness. It's an act of worship. And we do that to all people. Who in the world do we think we are to say, well, I'll tell that person, but not that person. We don't have that right. We're to go and tell all the world. And what happens when we talk about the greatness of God? What happens? Look at what it says. Verse 11. The heavens are glad. The earth rejoices. The sea resounds. The fields celebrate. The trees shout for joy. Because when we share the gospel, it leaves joy in its wake. We share the truth of the gospel, and all of creation realizes the importance of all that God is accomplishing through his people, and creation bursts forth in praise as well. Just like we sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all creation, I sing. With all creation, I sing. When God's people rightly praise him, the nations of the earth will be compelled to join them in worship, and all creation will resound with the glory of our living God. Y'all still with me? Got real quiet in this room. Got real quiet. <laughs> I'm going to ask our band to, to be making their way up, but as, as we began by asking the question, how do I worship God? The answer is this. We sing to our glorious God, to ascribe glory to his name and tell the world about his greatness. And Psalm 96 reinforces this by telling us that God has called us indeed to worship him because he is worthy. We're a singing people as followers of Christ. We are singing people the song that tells of the covenant love of our glorious God to the world around us and the people we interact with. And so we join in with all creation to sing of the majesty and splendor of the creator of the universe. So I come to you. What about you? How are you worshiping these days? Are you coming in and singing some songs and then you're out for six and a half days and you come back in and sing some songs and... Are, are you actively telling the world around you of God's greatness? Because it's not like a suggestion, and it's not an either-or, and it's not a, well, I'll get around to that when I get around to it. We're commanded here in this passage to tell others of His greatness. 
Remember, we're a singing people, whether it's good or bad. Doesn't matter if you're on pitch, doesn't matter if you hit the right notes, we're a singing people that ascribe greatness and glory to our God because he's worthy of it. And we tell the world of his greatness. That's, what, that's our job. That's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. So regardless of your musical ability, regardless of your skill at public speaking, as a follower of Christ, we are commanded to go and do these things. So let's commit today to worship our God and tell the world about him. Now, I don't know how you need to do that. Maybe it's right there in your seat. You say, yep, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Maybe there's something symbolic in the act of coming down here and committing to the Lord. I've not been doing that. And just the simple act, there's nothing magical in walking down here to this altar, but just the physical act of moving from where you are can have a great spiritual impact on your heart to say, I'm, I'm making a commitment today to stand and live for the Lord, to worship Him, to ascribe the glory to His name and to tell the world about Him. Maybe you need to do that. Derek will be down here. I'll be down here. We'd love to help you get on that road. But I'm telling you today, you can choose to do that. You can walk out of this room here in just a moment singing because he's glorious. Is he not? Is our God glorious? He is. We can ascribe glory to his name because he's worthy of our worship. Is he not? And we can tell the world about him because our God is great. Is he not? We're going to sing this morning. Let's stand together. As you do, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for reminding us that you are great. God, many of us in this room learned a prayer when we were real little. It started like this. God is great. God is good. Lord, we can stay right there for a long time because you are great and you are good. We sing to you. We ascribe glory to your name. And we go out into the world and tell people about the fact that you are great and good. And Lord, today for people in this room, I pray that we would commit to be a force of ambassadors that go out into this community. And that people in this community, in Lafayette, Georgia, cannot say that they've never heard about the Lord. Because we won't stop talking about it. I pray that we would be bold in sharing about how great you are. Lord, speak to us today. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.